0: Hey, it's Greg Brady. Thanks for checking out Toronto Today. We're back for a four-day week. Lucky us, but lucky you as well, with Canada Day on the way, one of our great holidays to celebrate. Well, we had Nate Erskine-Smith, Liberal MP for Beaches East York, on the show. Talked about the Pride Parade. Nate marched in it. A lot of our uh, chat this morning about Pride Parade and, uh, and Pride Weekend, and not just, I think, how far we've come with opinion intersecting with policy, uh, not just opinion in your own household or on your street or how you talk about things with your family or your loved ones, but uh, moving the country forward. And I know we watch south of the border and we feel maybe there's a bit of a, a backward slide on uh, abortion, and we get into that as well uh, with the overturning of Roe v. Wade, something that I didn't think was shocking or stunning based on the fact that three Supreme Court Nominees were put onto the bench to do just what happened uh, last week. So we get into that a little bit as well. We have a busy show. We're glad you're with us. Thanks for finding us. Toronto Today starts now. But pride this weekend. I was thinking about this, and uh, you know, we're it was very much back in full voice. Crowds bigger than even 2019, bigger than 2018, bigger than 2017. And I've got something I want you to think about. I'm going to sort of plant an earworm. That song certainly was. But I'm going to plant an earworm in either your left or right ear. You decide. And I want you to think about what your guess is as to when you are legally allowed to marry someone from your own sex in this country. Think about that for a few minutes because I'm going to come back around to it. I mean, whatever you think it is, push it back a few years push it back to where we started to evolve up, not just opinion on this, but policy. Opinion doesn't always lead to policy. The vast majority of Americans feel uh, that you should be able to have access, especially in the first few months, to abortion services. But the vast majority of Americans in many states will not have that access come Friday. So my point is opinion and policy don't always coincide. They don't always intersect. And I was thinking about this, how uh, we've got a generational mix of people that listen to the show. We saw generational people of mix that uh, communicate with me. I try and keep a lot of diverse opinions in the mix. If you just speak into an echo chamber, this is the problem with social media sometimes is it gets designed to be a bit of an echo chamber where we all agree. And the best thing is to step away from it, step out of that echo chamber and go, oh, people feel this election results for sure have told us that, uh, you can't really predict what's going to happen from social media. So when I think about pride and I think about what it means to be gay and what it means to be out, it's much easier than it used to be. I think, I think had I come out and I'm not gay and I'm not out, I'm not either. I'm all for two in the, in those, uh, categories. But either way, had I come out at a certain age, your your problem when you think about it is, will I be disappointing somebody? Not will I gain my identity? Because there's so many things when you're a teenager in your early 20s that help you find your identity. My brother-in-law is a proud, amazing gay man and has a brilliant, brilliant partner. We saw them on Thursday night. They came over for uh, for my kids graduation and we can't get enough time to spend with them. But he wasn't out until deeper into his 20s. And I think, if, I think of two things. One, was it just meeting the right person that brings a person out? Was it, again, policy intersecting with opinion that makes it easier to be out? And then I thought as well, we have gotten past the point where you make the assumption, I'll be disappointing somebody. I'll be disappointing a parent. I'll be disappointing a sibling. I'll be disappointing friends. It's such great progress to say we're past those elements. I know a plenty of gay adults. And again, my brother-in-law and his partner are the two I probably know the most. But I was in you know, my first part-time job. I was, you know, working in the restaurant industry. People will nod and go, yeah, the restaurant industry. Gay people in that industry, of course there are. And you get to know them. And it's the best thing imaginable because when you no one's out in elementary school, when I'm going to elementary school in the late 80s, almost no one's out. I think there were a couple people that were in the early 90s, but I just didn't happen to run in the same circles with them. And that's okay to quote Stuart Smalley. Um, so no judgment. Those those people I know, my brother-in-law and his partner, have traveled the world and they'll tell me over and over again. We don't feel discriminated against. We don't. Toronto's one Toronto's Now, maybe there's hurdles to climb to get there, and there's always more work we can do. But they say to me, Toronto's one of the best cities to be gay in. Canada's one of the best countries to be gay in. They didn't allow pride parades in a lot of Eastern European countries. They won't allow pride parades, obviously, in many countries in Africa. They won't allow pride parades in many countries in South America, and you're going to get more pushback in certain U.S. states to have a pride parade like we had yesterday. But that's not why the Pride Parade still matters. So let me explain why it does. It's for people like this. John Tory is the mayor of the city of Toronto. And his granddaughter named Isabel was marching, uh, went to a Pride uh, breakfast with uh, Mayor Tory yesterday and had this to say, I want you to listen to these comments because I found them really significant. And I remember back to when I was a teenager thinking I can do anything I want. I shouldn't have done everything I wanted to do. I could say anything I want. I sure shouldn't have done that. But here's Isabel saying, I've got this freedom that I didn't think I had. And I didn't know I was missing until I had it.
1: It's amazing, actually, to be able to show who I am because, well, I just I wasn't really before when I was when I wasn't out and I wasn't really able to express that as easily but now that I've expressed it with like my grandpa and my family I feel like I can express it to everyone
0: I love hearing every single second of that and that's why we still have to have these parades not for the fact that gay people are discriminated uh against on mass cuz many of them will tell you that they're not that they're not by the way did you know gay men make more on average than straight men in the workplace they make more money that doesn't sound like discrimination to me there's still work and acceptance to be due to, to to do. But a recent Pew Research Foundation study, and this is the United States, and we'd like to think, oh, oh we do things better than the United States. Look at our we realized uh, on health care that maybe w- we need some work. But a recent Pew Research Foundation noted 92 percent of all LGBTQ adults felt society is more accepting of them than a decade ago. I don't know who the 8 percent are that, that don't feel that way. 87% of adults personally know someone who's gay or lesbian that's up from 61% in 1993 and now same-sex couples throughout the country can get legally married after the 2015 supreme court decision a lot of lgbtq people highly visible in the media a lot of them are on your radio a lot of them like we play it out of the gate I- i've i've loved so many gay iconic music artists for years and i used to take crap from that and then i realized why would i have friends that give me crap for how, what I listen to, what I watch, what I dress, who I hang around with. And then you sort of, <laughs> you shave down those c- kind of social engagements where you're like, life's too short to be with people like this. So this is it. And in the language of columnist Dan Savage, who wrote a 2010 campaign to combat LGBTQ suicide, which were at higher rates his quote, it gets better. And it does. It gets better when you're. Everything gets better from when you're younger to when you're older. It's supposed to work that way, and it gets better to be gay. It gets better to be lesbian. It gets better to be what you'd consider at the time different, but it's not so different when you look around and you see as many people as you saw yesterday. By the way, here's John Tory reacting to his granddaughter and that brilliant. We'll play. We'll play it a couple different times throughout the show. His granddaughter Isabel being out. This is her first Pride Parade being out. And uh, speaking of pride, you could tell the mayor was swelling with it.
2: Well, I think the world's going to be a much better place when we see what's going on in other places, you know, where people are so inclined
0: not to accept each other and to talk at each other and be divisive. And here in Toronto, we, we try to do it differently. We're not perfect. And uh, pride's one of the great days we do that. So I mentioned earlier that gay marriage uh, didn't come to Canada until 2005. I do, it does not feel that way. It doesn't feel it's only been 17 years where you, where you could actually legally marry somebody that you love, regardless of the sex that you are. NDP MP. I watched a lot. I way too many you know political things when I was a little kid and a teenager. But longtime BC MP Sven Robinson, the first openly gay MP Canada had ever had, noted this. This happened during, by the way, the Kretschmann government. But obviously, it has that. That's not going to be touched by any government uh, in the last several years, and it won't be touched by any government that's coming. It's just not going to be. Here's what Sven Robinson said about the legislation.
3: I salute the prime minister uh, for his leadership. Uh, The prime minister has shown uh, that he respects
4: the fundamental principles of the Charter of Rights.
0: Yeah, and uh, the Charter of Rights says love who you want to love, marry who you want to marry, be with who you want to be with. Again, yesterday's not just about, well, we have to fight discrimination. We have to fight for rights. You've done that. You've done that really well. And guess what I also want to praise the community yesterday for is recognizing allies, allowing allies who aren't gay, who aren't of that, uh, uh, you know, uh, of that uh, genetic code that makes you love somebody that is the same biological sex as you. You welcomed us in. It's really difficult sometimes. I see that in a lot of different contexts. But where you are strong and where you've built is you accept allies. You allow us to be supportive. We feel nurtured. It doesn't take just one good deed to form an alliance. Alliances need nurturing. So there's engagement. You communicate effectively with the rest of us. You don't ask for too much from the rest of us. You're not too in our face with the rest of us. And you don't take offense when we don't get something right. Life's about evolution life's about opinion intersecting with policy. And I'm so, so thankful that we can have a moment like yesterday in the city of Toronto, where, as I said, and I'll quote my brother-in-law again, it's a great city to be gay in. It's a safe city to be gay in. Stuff's going to happen in big cities. Okay. We know this. You're not going to gain universal support from everybody. But we've got your back to have events like yesterday. They're not as necessary as they were 15, 20 years ago for rights, but they're necessary for people like Isabel to feel a part of a community. And that's why it still matters. Your thoughts on that at 289-975-1640, 289-975-1640. Yesterday's a great day to be in a major city like Toronto and see the outpouring, not just of emotion, not just of people, but knowing that there's differences that have already been made. Celebrate those triumphs, okay? It's not, there is not, the element of discrimination and, uh, and and sort of rancor that was there 20, 25 years ago. And it's called evolution and opinion intersecting with policy. And it's a good thing. Nate Erskine-Smith joins us from uh, the MP uh, from Beaches East York. It's great to have you on the show. By the way, you took some great photos. You were uh, marching yesterday. So, uh, so was our technical director, Gord Rennie. What was the Pride Parade experience like for you? It's great to have it back after three years.
2: Yeah, it was great to have it back. And just to be surrounded by so much positivity and and celebrating equality. And I would just say there weren't even barricades this year. Usually there's barricades between the crowd and those marching and there weren't, they weren't in place this year. And it's a testament to Toronto and Canada that that can happen and everything goes so smoothly.
0: I think you're right about that, because I saw people saying, oh, is this concerning? Um, Should there be? Because there were obviously issues when we had the last big parade we had probably in the city really was was the Raptors parade, although that would have been before the 2019 Pride. And people were worried that it got really delayed. But I'd look and I'd say exactly what you said, Nate. It worked. There's a level of of trust in the community that uh, we're going to have a positive event. Um, And I'd say this as well. I've heard so many people say we got to sometimes we argue about stuff and we should argue and we should debate stuff and we should be respectful of each other. But Toronto is is a great place for gay people. Canada is a great place for gay people in contrast to many other places to live. Like like we kind of won the lottery here with our inclusivity and it took time and it took battles to get there, but we're in a good place right now. We got to keep moving forward, but we're in a good
2: place. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and it's one of the, uh you know the the luck of being born in canada for some of us and it's a reason people come to canada for so many others
0: i know you're out for parliament for the summer um you uh were a big voice and there were other big voices as well the justice minister included in getting a big piece of legislation passed and that's bill c5 that was about a week and a half ago but your party and you were doing the work right to the end tell our listeners about bill c5 and why it's important
2: So C-5 does three core things, and it follows the evidence to reform criminal justice policy to end certain mandatory minimums that would get in the way of judicial discretion, so would create unfairness in particular situations. Judges can still levy a maximum penalty in, in really egregious cases, but it gets rid of uh, the, a situation where there would be unfairness because the judge doesn't have discretion. It also restores conditional sentencing, which every criminal criminologist and criminal justice expert I've spoken to says is really important for, again, judicial discretion, but again, ensuring that individuals in particular context, when we look at rehabilitation, we're going to get to a better place. And lastly, and this is the piece that I had worked on, it was actually based on a private member's bill i introduced back in early 2020, but it moves drug policy in a serious way by saying, for drug possession, we're going to try our best to move it out of the hands of police and prosecutors, and we're going to fetter the discretion of police and prosecutors so that they can only move forward with a charge for simple possession In, in consistently with health principles. And what it functionally means is we're going to move simple possession, people who are using drugs for personal use, not trafficking, not producing, but for personal use, we're going to move that into the healthcare sphere as much as we can.
0: I know it's getting debated a lot in the States and I want to know if you sort of spot, is there a template or a test city that you look at in Europe or in the United States and say, that's something, those are, you know, concepts that we could uh, adopt a little bit. I know there's that sort of battle back and forth between uh, allowing for safe injection, allowing for making sure we're not, you know, criminalizing possession of, uh, of, of drugs and also making sure we're doing the work on the other side to make sure that people aren't on addictive hard drugs for longer than they should be. It's a really, it's a really fine balance, isn't it? And we've talked about shame and stigma before you and I have, and there has to be, you know, sort of a, a a middle ground that makes this work to get people back and, and, and sort of in their lives, but also doing things safely.
2: Right. So there are a number of things that governments need to do and do better. So there needs to be much more in the way of treatment options, on demand treatment. When people are ready to get the treatment that they need, it has to be available and it's not always available. And we frankly don't spend the money to make it available consistent with the crisis that we've got in this country with respect to opioids and other substances. And so there's that. I think there's broad consensus across party lines to do more on that front.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: There's also the need to follow the evidence, as you say, and and we deem to build out the evidence. So Canada had one of the first safe consumption sites in the world out in Vancouver. And a former conservative government, I don't think we're in a place where this would happen today, but a former conservative government tried to shut it down, and a unanimous Supreme Court said its benefits have been proven, it saves lives, and, and you can't shut it down. And instead, what we've done is we've taken that evidence and we've expanded safe consumption sites and unquestionably saved lives, and there's not been a single overdose death at any one of those sites since they've been operating. So we, we, to follow the evidence further, and we don't have the evidence here at home yet, but we will, hopefully, because we've got a, now a, a pilot with BC where BC's has de- certain drugs but if you look at portugal example oregon has recently done this but if you look at portugal because they did in 2000 they Mm -hmm. said we're going to treat drug use as a health issue that it ought to be treated and we're going to effectively say instead of they didn't fully just delete the offense they basically said there will still be a of element. There will be these dissuasion panels of a social worker, a healthcare professional, a uh, justice professional, but it won't be a criminal justice judge that is trying to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in some cases impose a criminal record on someone. They're going to, in some worst case, or sort of suspend a driver's license, or refer someone to t- treatment. In, in a, an extreme case, of fine. But in most cases if it's a first time offense, it's get out of here. And if it's been a warning and in other cases, it's to ensure that they're directed into the healthcare system. And in Portugal, we've seen massive success, you know, overdose rates down. We've seen uh, the the number of uh, people seeking treatment increase by 60% and and, and obviously the number of people incarcerated uh, way, way down. And so on all fronts, it's been a, a massive success. And you know, there may be a Canadian version of that. Maybe there are specifics that we need to debate to, to get to a better place. But in the end, we need to follow the evidence to save lives.
0: Nate Smith our guest uh, MP from Beaches East York on Toronto Today with Greg Brady. I know uh, one of the criticisms, and I think you said here, we can do better of of legislation that didn't get pushed through uh before uh, the end of parliament last week was for canadians with disabilities they're getting a new benefit but many people have been critical saying it's coming a bit too late and there aren't enough details uh about it and i i was shocked by this number nate more than six million canadians 15 and over that's almost that's between 20 and 25 percent of the population identify as having a disability so this affects an awful lot of people what can you tell us about where this will go when when parliament resumes
2: uh, I think it's fair criticism to say it's not moving fast enough because there's a, a bill that was tabled right before the the 2021 election so in the summer before we we broke and it's just been retabled in the last few weeks uh, in early June I was part of 40 liberal colleagues I helped put together a letter to call on the government to move faster on it as a press conference with folks across party lines because again this is an issue that does cut across party lines there was you know I've stood alongside senators and stood alongside other members of parliament to call for faster action. And I would say Minister Qualtro, Carla Qualtro herself has really been pushing to make this happen. So we've got legislation back in the House, which is good. Uh, it's not going to be seen through the House until the fall. And even when you think of the legislative framework, we're ta- it, it's very broad, right? So it, it sets out, it's going to be modeled on GIS for seniors. So we know it's going to be a effective, a basic income benefit that sets a floor. And then the more you earn the less you get. And there's a, a phase out rate over time as, as you earn more. But we don't know what the initial amount is going to be yet. We don't know what that phase out rate is going to be and how it's going to work. Roughly, we can think of a GIS for seniors, but we don't know exactly what it's going to be like. And we don't know, to your point about the number of people with disabilities in this country. Well, eligibility criteria can be really different depending upon the disability benefit that does exist today. Okay. And so what is the eligibility criteria going to be for this?
0: Yeah. All important issues. I got about 90 seconds, but I want to ask you about Ottawa this weekend. Uh, I know, you know, MPs aren't, aren't sitting in parliament as they were in late January, early February, when the freedom convoy came in, but I want to know from a distance, knowing Ottawa, as you know it, what your expectations are for this weekend. Are there any fears or concerns about any form of repeat or rehash of what we saw in the winter?
2: I have heard concerns, but I will say, Uh, My expectation is the police have learned the lessons of the last round and that they will more effectively do their job.
0: Yeah. It's, it's one of those scenarios, again, where it, I, I think it's summer. I think, you know, if anything, it's one of those things we look back on and we shake our head at thinking this, well, it's cold. Well, it's freezing temperatures, so they won't stay very long. And I'm like, nah, the, the, they weren't just going to vanish Sunday at 4 p.m. It felt like there was sort of a dug-in process here. And, and then it became a little bit of a game of, of chicken as that went along. And so your expectation is. Hopefully there's more of an understanding among the protesters and law enforcement of of what they're allowed to do and and what won't be tolerated.
2: I think so, especially living here in Toronto. We saw Toronto learn the lessons of Ottawa and then when a convoy came through Toronto, it didn't stick. And so I, Mm -hmm. I think the Ottawa police will learn their own lessons there and I think they'll do the right thing.
0: Nate, thanks very much for the time. I hope you have a great uh, Canada Day weekend. Uh, Again, uh, off our top with talking about pride, this country is so, so worth celebrating. We always can uh, do better tomorrow than today. Uh, I know you're a big believer in that. Thanks very much and have a great holiday weekend coming up.
2: You too. Thanks, Greg.
0: Nate Erskine-Smith joining us, MP from Beaches East York. want to bring in our uh, our producer Shiba Siddiqui, and uh, you and I weren't uh, doing the show together Friday morning, and I don't I feel like timing wise the Roe v Wade thing we hinted at it earlier in the week, didn't we? But it didn't really come down until you and Rabina were probably off the air after nine o'clock on Friday.
5: That's exactly when we found out it was after the show, and it was just so disheartening. And yes, you and I have touched upon it earlier in the week, and. You know, I sort of, I sensed that this was coming. There was a leak about it, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. this was a few months ago, so we were all sort of prepared for this. But to actually see this happen in this, in 2022, it's, uh, it's heartbreaking. And it's very worrisome. And people, you know, the the big question for a lot of Canadians was, I mean, there were protests all across our country as well over the weekend, but uh, is, could this happen in Canada? What do you think? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, it really just, it depends on, I think that it's a tough question. It's the first question that I mm-hmm. ask myself as well. Well, how will this affect us? Because there is such a huge influence of what happens in the U.S. in terms of politics. It does affect us. It does affect our country. Um, I don't think that something like this could come to Canada, but I mean, it's, it's not in 2019, the latest year on record, there were about 83,000 abortions on Canadian women, uh, performed in hospitals and clinics so i mean this is an issue and it's not just about this is a conversation that i've been seeing all weekend it's you know rape and incest but it's so much more than that those shouldn't be the only two reasons why a woman should be allowed to have allowed to have an abortion you you can whatever your reason is at whatever time of your pregnancy that's It should be absolutely your choice. You're the one it affects for the rest of your life. And I saw a case about uh, finances. Okay, so in the States, if you're being forced to keep this baby, this baby that's unwanted, really, let's call it what it is, um, what if you can't afford to raise it? What supports will they have for you at that point?
0: Yeah, that's a big that's a big factor, because I thought about that on the weekend, too. And the conversations I had with women and men was very much um, you could almost almost understand not not preventing uh, or or limiting access here there are moments where we talked about the the law in pei didn't we with where you're allowed to have one within 12 weeks of your pregnancy yes. after 12 weeks you've got to go off the island which is so you need to travel to new brunswick nova scotia wherever you need to go like i think many Canadians, sheba and that's kind of what we're here for is to sort of write maybe misperceptions sometimes is you can go anywhere, anytime, walk right in. It's really, it isn't for all women. It isn't for all women. Now, it's not the political football it is in the States. You don't have people yell, you're a woman hater. No, you're a baby killer. Like, we, I think we talk about it with more, more proper nuance here, as you said. And a lot of people reference that sort of third trimester abortion. And nobody, I just, my wife said the same thing. She's like, nobody walks in at eight months and goes, I've changed my mind. I don't want it. I don't think that happens very often. You would only do that in the case of a severe, severe health issue, and you would need a lot of medical documentation to do anything that late. Nobody wants to do that. These decisions are usually made as wrenching as they are, because I know people who've made them. These decisions are made within two weeks of knowing to me. To me, and that's when they should be made. That's when they should be made. That's an ideal time to make those decisions.
5: I don't know if I agree with that okay uh I I know women who have flip-flopped through an entire pregnancy questioning whether they should keep it, whether they shouldn't there was external pressure to keep it or vice versa. Uh, and I, I know many who have regretted that decision I know uh, of as to whether you know people who had an abortion and ones who kept their child. I've been on play dates where they've looked at their children think's telling me uh, I wish I had had an abortion. Well, I've never had a conversation
0: that's that's amazingly this is what happens like
5: well that. this is what happens when you're you know when you when you're not when you're sleepless and you all have infants yeah. or toddlers and you're at play dates and you're at the library for whatever story time and mothers start talking to each other and it's really hard like that is that make or break you those first two years with a baby and an infant and a toddler it's hard so I have had women mm. tell me I, I wish I had, had an abortion the that is go ahead just, sorry, yeah It's just incredibly difficult. But there are two types of abortion performed in Canada. There's medical and there's surgical. So medical abortions performed when you give a woman a pill. And you can Mm -hmm. do this up until the 11th week of pregnancy in most provinces. Uh, But a surgical abortion is available up until the 24th week of pregnancy.
0: But not not in PEI, as I said. Yes. uh, Yeah, I'm saying in certain provinces. In Ontario and Quebec seem to have the longest windows uh, of time. Uh, the the stat I saw over the weekend that leaped off the page to me is the majority of Americans are, are quite pro-choice. They are. And when it comes to abortions within the first trimester, 61% of people believe that should be legal in all or most cases. Count me in. Of course, I'm one of them. But the majority also say we have to restrict later term abortion to specific cases to the point where you can't flip-flop in month six or month seven because of the development um, of of the you know, eventual baby and, and 65% believe late second trimester abortion should be largely illegal. And I don't, I don't think that, but I also think like I, I, the goal is to have right. It sh- am I right? The goal is we need fewer abort more. We need access to be the same, but the goal is to have fewer of them. I mean, the goal is to have as few of them as possible, but it's not a perfect world. So there are going to exactly? be women that do that.
5: How do you achieve that goal?
0: And that's the great that's the great question that I don't think either Democrats or Republicans or liberals or conservatives or the NDP. I don't think they have any answer. Here's the problem. They had a very flimsy law. They had a very flimsy law for Roe v. Wade. I I, we talked about this a lot in politics classes. I remember these conversations so well at, at Western and it was a very flimsy law. And in essence, all it took was packing the court with three people who were absolutely there for one, almost one reason, one reason only to blow it up to blow it up. And that was the point. And you can imagine, Donald Trump, I bet you, I bet you for uh, the first six decades, six and a half decades of existence, this was not a pro-life person in action or in words or in deeds. None of it. He's not a pro-life. He's being a phony and he's not a pro-life person. He's not a religious person or a pro-life person. Right?
5: Yeah. yeah. I agree.
0: So it ends up being a political decision. And, uh, and I,
5: but these are still going to continue to happen, Greg. These abortions are still going to continue to happen. It's just going to be either under very unsafe circumstances, or, uh, or, or incredibly
0: costly economic circumstances,
5: ex- or for people who can't afford to travel to a state wh- where they, they can't get an abortion, they're going to have unwanted babies. And that I don't. I I've seen that. I've seen that firsthand. It's awful. I, I think. Mm -hmm. This is something that women should just this is should 100 percent be a woman's decision. And what's happening here, it's very it's worrisome. And I don't think it's going to come to Canada. But I mean, I've said that about other things and I've just been shocked sometimes when I see what's happening. Uh, So I don't know.
0: But what else is like what what fundamental rights have been rolled back in Canada? in the last 15 years. Like I was mentioning about gay marriage. That's never going to get touched again.
5: No. And actually I loved what you said. I loved what you said in in your previous segment. I agree with you there. I think that Canada is such a great place to be gay. I think that's what you said or your brother-in-law said. Yeah. Yes. And specifically Toronto, right? Toronto is just like, it's just, it's a whole other lifestyle of freedom of, um, and it's a privilege. Right. To just be able to walk the street and be exactly who you are. I
0: watched that video footage of, of Mayor Tory. And again, people can say um, this and that. It's hard. It's a hard job. Um, he he said, we're not perfect. We make mistakes. But you could see a grandparent almost almost messing up. And I know we're going to talk to our own Gord Rennie about his pride parade experience. But Tory was that's as emotional as I've seen John Tory. And this city's been beautiful. through some rough things. That was yes, it was beautiful. Absolutely. And and the strength of that that girl to stand in front of a camera. I couldn't have done it at that age. So it takes, uh, I don't mean coming out, I just mean explaining it knowing like all my friends at school, all my all my classmates are going to see me on TV. Oh, you're only on TV because your your grand, grandpa's the mayor, <laughs> and, uh, and which would be a cool thing to say to anybody and, and going from there. So if you miss this on a busy weekend and you had stuff going on, you're forgiven. But this happened on Friday. So let me reset this really quickly before we get to Josh Matlow. Michael Ford, city counselor, but he can't be city counselor when he becomes an MPP. So that makes sense, right? So we need a new city counselor. Appointed, you know, because the election coming up next, you know, in in the fall, the municipal election will will settle, and she'd have to run if she was still the city councilor. But they nominate and and uh, and appoint Rosemary Bryan, so she's a new city councilor. Hours after she's appointed, she was supposed to replace Michael Ford's seat, and uh, we find out, okay, a lot of problems here, and either it's a lack of vetting or it's a lack of research. But we find a number. Of and of Islamophobic uh, Facebook posts that she either liked or commented on, anti Asian social media posts, anti two SL G B T Q plus posts as well on this in this month and on this weekend of all weekends. A lot of these were found by Jonathan Goldsby of Canada Land, so full credit there. So uh, she can't be city councillor, and I. <laughs> I even read the apology, which was as big a non-apology. I think we overrate what apologies are now and we judge them almost like they're movies or your plays, but it wasn't a great, she didn't apologize. She just said, I'm embarrassed that all this came out, but do you still, we don't have any sense if she still feels this way or not. And our next guest wrote on Twitter, I don't believe anyone who supports hate and bigotry should be a Toronto city councilor or hold any public office for that matter. This is disgraceful. Rosemary Bryant shouldn't have been appointed and must resign immediately, which she did do Josh Matlow joins us now, Toronto City Councilor? Thank you very much, as always, for making time for our listeners. Um, when you first got wind of this Friday, this must have shocked you. Like there's something fell through the cracks here of the vetting process, did it not?
3: Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. And good morning, Greg. Yeah, I mean this was, this was a monumental screw up at City Council. Um, clearly, uh, there 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 was you know, there isn't a system of of any real vetting going on during these appointment processes. And I I, I fundamentally believe that that the process itself, just there needs to be more filters before somebody becomes a city councillor in this context. Now, I didn't vote for Rosemary Bryan. I voted for uh, somebody named Charles Azoud who uh, a nigerian uh, immigrant, uh, health equity ag- advocate and a researcher at metropolitan university who i found incredibly impressive mm-hmm. and he's uh, very involved in the community in, in north etobicoke um but you know when i when i did do a cursory glance uh I to, like i did a little social media scan um i didn't see all the stuff that jonathan goldsby exposed and good for him for doing stuff, yes but i certainly had but i certainly have had enough of a a sense that she was there's something wrong uh, there (laughs) that, you know, if you just look at some of her social media posts, it's just, it's weird stuff. And it just, it just set off red flags for me. Um, that being said though, you know, in fairness to, to council, the system itself is just ridiculous. Like you you have dozens and dozens and dozens of people who like, they just, they, they sign up to, 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 to come and give a five minute speech about who they are. And that's pretty much what they have to go on. Um, now, typically, there's some suggestion by the outgoing counselor, as I believe, I understand there was by Michael Ford in this case, that Rosemary Bryan was his pick, his preference, and often there is a text or something that goes out from the mayor's office saying, yeah, that's, that's, we agree, we want that too, or somebody else. Um, so that being said, uh, I, think, I think that's what the majority of council relied on, and that's just, that's not, that's not a good enough system. We're, we're, we're appointing a city councillor.
0: I'm getting a message from a listener who's curious as to when listening to our conversation. When is that point where you would run a by-election as opposed to just to, I know it's a there's great only question. and there's only several months left. But let's say I ran for city council. I mean, God forbid, but let's say I did. That's yeah. bad for the count for uh, anyway. Let's say I did, Josh. And I, and then next summer, um seven seven months in, I said, this is not for me. There, w- I would think there would be a by-election. I don't think you'd appoint a city councillor to run to to hold that spot for three years. It's one thing if somebody is walking away now yeah. and you say we can handle this uh, on an appointment basis for six months, but that's not really democracy, is it? To not let let that let that ward vote for someone brand new and yeah. have a by-election.
3: Absolutely. And by the way, if you, Greg, uh, are. <laughs> Or considering it, you know, like, just call me. I will. Um, know well, that call. You'll be the first person I call. I know who'll be the awesome. last people I'll call,
0: but you'll be the first person I'll
3: call. But uh, I mean, realistically, uh, the, like the way it works is that um, in you know it's a four-year term. Mm-hmm. So for the first three years, if somebody for whatever reason cannot complete their their term, there is a by-election, and it goes back to the voters. But in the election year, when there's going to be an election anyway. The convention is to have uh an appointment and like in this case there would be only one to my understanding only one council meeting left in july uh and then it goes into the summer you know and then then and into the election cycle so that's why the appointment's done um but and I, I look i don't like that system i don't feel comfortable making a choice for the residents in Etobicoke north. Uh, mm-hmm. But at the very least, at the very least, there needs to be a system to understand like you know who we're actually interviewing. Uh, like, like most professional environments, there's there's a basic vetting so that you understand who you have in front of you. And uh, and that should be the bare minimum. In this case, it's people just kind of, yeah. You know, I don't I don't think the majority of counselors knew the vast preponderance of people who were standing in front of them today, including Rosemary Bryan. Who, who Michael Ford seemed to think was a, a great choice. But, you know, it, it really only takes a, a minute or two to, to look at her social media to understand that uh, there, there's something very wrong there.
0: I know you got under a minute, but um, the mayor has has pledged to, you know, make this a little more of an involved process. Uh, are you hopeful that's the case the next time somebody has to be appointed even for a short term period?
3: I personally don't like the appointment process itself, but if it has to be and if it's the only functional, pragmatic way to do to do this uh, uh, you know, during an election year, then, yes, I, I agree with the mayor that the system needs to be, uh, you know, far so that there's at the very least a basic vetting of who we have in front of us to understand if, uh, you know, let's put it this way. If somebody has a, a, a record that they've never apologized for, they've never that they've never addressed, uh, of of posting and supporting the most hateful, bigoted, awful stuff that's offensive to most reasonable people or any reasonable person or society, we, you know, council should be aware of that before they vote.
0: Hey, Josh, thanks so much for making the time. Uh, always welcome, and uh, if we don't get a chance to talk before Canada, have a great long weekend. Thanks again. You too. Happy candidate. Thanks. Rick. Josh Matlow uh, joining us.
3: Look, I, I, I think
0: there's a couple things here. I like that a counselor like Josh says the appointment process is a little bit ridiculous. It look, we went through um, a lot of a lot of turmoil in this city based on uh, during the election campaign last time out with wards being, you know, shut down and candidates having to decide am I going to run in a different region or whatnot? And I know we do this too much. And you've heard me say so. So I'm being consistent here. We read too much into people's apologies. We play too many gotcha games. You said this 10 years ago. Did I not just play you a clip of Joe Biden sounding a lot less, hey, pro-choice for all. 15 years ago, I think there's been a lot of evolution of opinion. But this this Rosemary Bryan is not, here's what she wrote in her message. It's not an apology. I am so devastated past social media posts I've made are now being thrown against my decades of commitment to the community. I do not want to make anyone in our city feel like they are not loved or not part of our community. I don't want to hurt all those who supported me. That's not an apology. That's not saying, hey, this is who I used to be, but I'm not anymore. I'm on the wrong side of history. And I think our parents and grandparents would say, yeah, hands raised. That was us also. So it's not even close to somebody it's it's not a response befitting somebody that could keep the office and she it's not a double down by her but some of the stuff is pretty Josh called it weird it's 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 homophobic and it's racist it's both those things and again we we we're, we're looking for that stuff i think if you hire somebody to wait tables you're looking at their social media you hire somebody to take tickets at a movie theater you're hiring, you're looking at their soul you have to do that now she had to expect this And she didn't care. All right. So Marianne Domain just documented how uh, there's there's, you know, we're gonna start enforcing some simple regulations for drivers. So I thought I thought let's test our three compatriots here, Sheba, Gordon, Dave, on sample knowledge test questions to get your driver's license. (laughs) Now this should make you guys nervous because this I it's been a long time since I've
4: had to take a driving test.
0: That's right. Yep. So let's go with four questions. To get, and there's four cho- three choices for each, stand, each answer. Okay. To get your okay. vehicle out of a skid, you should first, A, steer straight ahead. B, steer in the opposite direction of the skid. C, steer in the direction you want to go. Straight ahead, opposite direction of how you're skidding, direction you want to go. Gord. The
4: direction you want to go. Dave. Wait a second. Is direction you want to go like steering into the skid? Yeah, into the, so that's my So you're chasing the, the back end with the front end? Oh, see. I, listen. No
1: Follow up questions, David. That's
4: gotta, right, <laughs> I'm, All I'm looking is for clarification. Do you remember
0: how stern the in in car driver instructors yeah, totally. used to be? So you would not ask them that.
4: Do you know how much fun I've had with a handbrake in a car steering Tons. into skids on ice <laughs> on an
5: icy patch?
4: I learned how to drive winter driving in a parking oh, lot in an yeah, empty parking totally. lot. So you can steer do... into the skid. Is the answer I'm going for? Okay, Sheba.
5: Yes, same answer there
0: it is steer in the direction you want to go gord hello has uh, a leg up no well, right but that's the same
5: that's not my that was my answer like you steer you don't go straight you don't go the opposite way you go into it
0: but if the skid is partly if the skid is is also in the direction you want to go that would Wait a that second. contradicts itself
4: if you're skidding and the back end is <laughs> is so you're turning left and the back end starts to slide around you need to steer right to correct, so you're not steering the direction you want to go. Because if you keep going left, you're going to go around in a circle.
0: You're going to have to take it up with Ontario.ca think slash documents <laughs> slash MTO. Ridiculous. Okay, you can. Uh, I think a protest vote is a yeah. good thing. But the answer should be D, which I didn't give you. Apply breaks hard. Just slam them on I as hard know. as you can possibly.
4: will no, The last out. thing you do, Close yes. your, really?
0: Close your eyes, stiffen up. That's right. Yeah. yeah you'll be
4: fine. <laughs> yeah. Do not lock the tires. <laughs> yeah.
0: Walk out of the car with the door open and run right. 50 yards in the opposite direction of the accident. <laughs> <laughs> Three. Oh no. Two. What must a driver do before entering a highway from a private road or driveway? Okay. What must a driver? These you don't get these questions on Jeopardy from. You know, Mayim Bialik or Blossom or whatever. What must a driver do before entering a highway from a private road or driveway? A, enter across the highway as quickly as possible. Nobody likes that one? Okay. Uh, Yield right of way to all vehicles approaching on the highway. C, my favorite, sound horn and proceed with caution. Sheba. B. The right you. of way to
5: all vehicles. Well, that's that's well on the highway democratic. until it's clear for you.
4: That's right. Dave, put your phone down first, and then uh, <laughs> I would say B. Gord, I concur. B, it is. I love just blast that horn and take your jack. i <laughs> coming in. Flash your lights a couple times. No
0: 16 year old is getting away with <laughs> leaning on the horn throughout a maneuver like that. You're not going to get your beginners. I like these two to to wrap. Is it more da- It is more dangerous to drive at the maximum speed limit at night than during daytime. As, A, your reaction time is slower at night. B, you cannot see as far ahead at night. Sorry, that was B. You cannot see as far ahead at night. C, the roadways are more apt to be slippery at night. Love that one. Gord? Or sorry, Dave, let's start with you. I'm
4: going to say B. You just can't see because your lights limit your visibility. So
0: not about reaction time. Okay, Sheba?
5: Same, B. Visibility. Gord?
4: <laughs> yeah, I think it's B. <laughs>
0: I wanted it to be A. Yeah. Your reaction time yeah. <laughs> slow. I'm a lot more awake at night. Yeah. <laughs> when we're not awake is four twenty eight driving in in the morning. You don't have to worry just, about it that's so much. Right. But I mean you always on a country road, deer. Yeah, right? yeah that's true, right? Moose. Totally. Moose. Yeah. 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 Um all right. And finally, you should under all conditions, this is very helpful, drive at a speed which will allow you to A stop within hundred fifty meters. C, stop within 60 meters. D, stop within a safe distance. Gord? It's got to be <laughs> C, safe distance. Okay. No, that's
5: that's D. Oh, sorry. It? I didn't
0: mean to give a D. I meant A, yes. 150 meters. <laughs> B, 60 meters. C, a safe distance. Shima? uh,
5: 150 meters, eh?
4: I, you know Dave? what? I'm just going to go with 60 because it's different. I, I think this, it's the safe it, distance. It's but, the safe distance yeah. one.
0: That's tricky. Well, it's good yeah, because you can't do those things if you're doing highway speed, right? You no, it's it. Yeah, I feel like this province. I got a lot of problems with this province. is trying to deny <laughs> people licenses because some of these have two answers. Yeah, there's no doubt about it.
4: The skid one. I'm yeah. i got to march down there. I'm going protest. Also, Who's Everything. writing this quiz? Michael
0: Ford. Everything. Listen. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I think I—I I, I don't remember. I remember a lot of quizzes during my beginners that were like, "Is it? A, it's A and B. It's yeah. all of the above. Yeah, it's yeah. none of the. None of these are." And then there's like four
4: questions later,
0: it's the same type of question, just worded differently. <laughs> <laughs> I, thank you. I—we uh, should do more interviews that way on the show. <laughs> just ask the same question That's over right. and over again. Are you sure? I'm is a big a fan choice? of this one. Never change lanes in traffic without. And one of the options is blowing your horn and looking to the rear. I just, I love that concept. Just <laughs> let it all hang out. Okay? You, it, you, you live and learn on the roads. It's a short work week uh, for most people, with Friday being uh, Canada Day. And what's about that Canada Day forecast? Uh, well, let's get the latest in uh, for Anthony Farnell, but hardly a pinch hitter. This is a cleanup hitter if there ever was one. Uh, Ross Hall, uh, Global News Meteorologist. It's great to have you on. I hope you had a happy weekend. I hope you had a happy Pride weekend, et cetera, et cetera. How was weekend for you?
1: Good morning, Greg. Yeah, it was a great weekend. You know, it was, uh, you know, took part in some pride festivities this weekend. And it was nice to uh, see that celebration back in the city and the weather conditions were decent. It was hot. It was humid, not as hot and humid as it was uh, earlier last week. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we did see a brief shower as forecasted uh, through the afternoon, but it wasn't enough to uh, put a damper on the entire festivities on Sunday. So I say overall, uh, a decent weekend. Hope you had one too.
0: I think a lot of water bottles got sold or people needed to break. I mean, I think a lot of hydration, uh, the H word was in full effect, uh, especially yesterday among the masses, but Saturday, uh, even much so, but today's different Ross. Like it's, it's, uh, it's that one day break. If you don't like the humidity, maybe you didn't love the weekend. Maybe you won't love later in the week, man, to, like today is, is your day. We got a, what a cooler, fresher air mass here, and it's going to hold at least for the day.
1: That's the interesting thing about this summer so far is, uh, you know, you can pick your weather and basically you can get it because some people, you know, I've learned in my uh, relatively long weather career not to uh, put my opinion on the weather because people, you know, some people, as you mentioned, (laughs) love the heat. They love the humidity. They wait, you know, for seven months of during seven months of winter or spring and they want that, you know, peak heat in, in June, July and August. Others, you know, obviously, it, it it can be difficult, the heat and the humidity. So, um, so what we ha- did have over the weekend is, yes, things got hotter. Uh, temperatures uh, reached the low 30s. Again, that is above average. We should still be around the mid 20s. And that humidity built as well. So we were into the mid 30s. So you can feel that. Uh, you know, that your skin doesn't evaporate that sweat as easily. So uh, there's that heavier feeling air mass. So we've got right now, you're right, we've got a cooler air mass, more comfortable, and that's going to be the situation today and for the next few days. Uh, although by the end of the week, as has been the case so, so far this summer, we get uh, some cool conditions and we're going to get that building heat and humidity uh, just in time, it looks like, for the uh, Canada day long weekend. So we'll be back to temperatures closer to 30 degrees with the humid X more in towards uh, the mid 30s so you, you know you've been you've been warned yeah uh, but if if you'd like to do outdoor activities say you have some stuff to do around the yard uh this week early this week well try to get it done uh over the next couple of days because uh you know it will feel more uncomfortable out there as we move through the week
0: ross hall is our guest global news meteorologist on toronto today so let's go macro big sort of summer forecast uh pitcher What do you see for the rest of July? Uh, Are we talking hot, humid stretches with little breaks in between? What do you spot?
1: Yeah, so I think for the rest of this month, it's safe to say we're going to see this pattern continue where we do get some heat, then we get some relief. Uh, We've got this big heat dome, this uh, high-pressure ridge that really uh, basically seals in the heat, and that's over the U.S. Plains. So. Uh, it's to our west we're not in the great lakes we're not quite uh, encircled by that but we think that's going to start to move east as we move into especially mid late july into august and that's when we could start to experience those longer uh, heat events that can be dangerous uh, you're talking three four five days of temperatures in the low to mid 30s that humid x approaching 40 And, you know, for people that don't have the resources or the air conditioning, uh, those can be very difficult conditions, obviously. So uh, we think that's going to start to happen more in towards July and August Mm -hmm. and likely continue into September in terms of the hot conditions. Of course, it doesn't get quite as hot because those nights start getting longer. But it's interesting because uh, over the last uh, 10, 20 years, July, August and September have been extremely hot. So uh, there's a couple of factors there, too, that we can talk about in terms of why that is.
0: Hey, r- yeah, real quick rainfall as well. Like even yesterday, I know for, sp- for parts of the parade, I spotted a couple of times. We kind of got just doused, but maybe maybe it would last three minutes to five minutes. It not not an extended amount of rainfall, but anybody that's got a lawn or a garden was like, thank you for for the very, you know, thank you for very little that you're giving me. But it's something is better than nothing. So we've just had very dry conditions for the month. And uh, we're not even close to our normal level of rainfall. We're not comparing it even to 20 years ago. We're talking even last year or the year before.
1: Yeah, that's right. And so, you know, it's one of those things where everything is a balance, right? You know, we just had a, a weekend filled with events and you obviously want the dry conditions. You don't want people, uh, you know, scurrying away, uh, having to hide from rain and showers and thunderstorms and the dangers of thunderstorms, of course. Uh, but you need the moisture. Uh, agriculture needs the moisture as you've You know, just walking in summer, I live in the Fort York area, and just walking Mm -hmm. around some of the parks here, you've got very dry conditions. Uh, so we are about fifty percent of where we are, where we should be in terms of normal rainfall for uh, the month of June. And May was below average as well, so that is a concern in terms of the possibility of some water restrictions moving forward, water shortages. Uh, so that is something we're keeping an eye on because uh, it has been very dry. So I, I know you, you know, people like their their dry conditions, especially if you're if you're on vacation, you don't want to have the wet weather. But we do need some wet weather. And it does look like there's the chances of showers and thunderstorms midweek, possibly at times later this week. But uh, we do need some of those soaking mm-hmm. rains to move in to replenish our uh, our water cycle.
0: Yeah. Say, and saves us on our water bill as well. Ross, thanks so much mm-hmm. for, uh, for checking in with us on this Monday morning. Appreciate it.
1: OK, great. I'll talk
0: to you on Friday. You got it. Ross Hall, uh, Global News Meteorologist joining us. Thanks again for listening to Toronto Today. Back with a live show tomorrow on Tuesday. You can hear us on the Radio Player Canada app. Uh, Google 640 Toronto. When you get there, search it there or you can listen online at 640toronto.com. Thanks very much.